Welcome to another night of Warrior Reads. As always, make sure that you've handled anything before bed, that the room is dark, and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember, as you're listening, if you get excited by a story or interested, don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always, we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website, as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head and then we'll begin. Welcome warriors. Tonight, our selection is from the Book of Rumi. Short stories translated by Myra Moth. Tonight we will be traveling to medieval Persia, to a secret place, in the halls of a Persian Sufi temple, where the ritual stomping of feet on the dusty ground rhythmically pounds the souls of men out from the material world and into the heavens, to a place where the songs and chants of ancient warriors echo through the halls and surround you where the holy incantations reverberate into your chest and lift you into unity with your true self. Tonight you are invited to step into a new world, to transcend your own story and become one with the universe and its creator in the eternal now. Well, that's the goal of our author anyway. Rumi was a very important Persian poet Islamic scholar and Sufi mystic who lived in 13th century Iran. He believed in the warrior path and practiced the hero's journey through life and in ritual. As a Sufi teacher, he taught a metaphysical path that led to being present to the moment. He embraced the challenges required to sacrifice his ego for the sake of enlightenment and inspired others to do the same through his teachings. Rumi wrote about everyday situations of his time in medieval Persia, and usually brought a sly sense of humor into his tales and poetry to flip the script so readers would remember to choose divinity over the mundane, strength and courage over weakness, and mastery and wisdom over folly. And as always, to see the practical wisdom that comes with being present to the moment and engaged with life. In Sufism, ritual is taken extremely seriously. The Sufis practice Zama or Zikr, in which one or more of the 99 names of God are repeated rhythmically for a certain length of time. The ritual is so profound that the practitioner can transcend beyond the present world and into full unity with the Almighty. Though this heroic metaphysical act is done through the zikr or sama ritual, the Sufi path and the hero's journey is accessible wherever you are, in your struggles, in your victories, and in every moment that you choose to remember yourself as the warrior you are and to be present to the now. 
As always, you can read this book at any time in the future, and it's worth the read. But as you let go of the day and anything else on your mind, and prepare for well-deserved rest, allow yourself to be there in 13th century Persia, to feel the earth beneath you, and see the short stories play out that Rumi shares with you. Let the wisdom that comes from this ancient mystical tradition sink into your inner warrior and enjoy his sly and esoteric humor along the way. So relax and enjoy. The Tree of Eternal Life A learned man who had traveled the world over was heard telling a story about a tree in India whose fruit bestowed eternal life. The story was brought to the attention of the king, who, like most people, desired to live forever, and he instantly became obsessed with finding the tree. He ordered one of his most trusted ministers to travel to India in search of the special fruit, and gave him ample funds to support his travels. Upon arrival in India, the minister began his thorough search from the southernmost point of the subcontinent to the remotest mountains in the north. He traveled from town to town and village to village, asking every person he came across about the tree and its fruit. Most people laughed in his face, taking him for an imbecile, while others just ignored him as they would a madman. The minister spent many lonely days and nights in foreign places, only rarely coming across a friendly face. If anyone did speak to him earnestly, it was to convince him to give up his useless search, to tell him that he was wasting his precious life. Some people would tease him and give him false directions to an imaginary tree in some difficult location making him go off his trail and wasting more of his time. Mostly though, people just laughed at him and took him for a fool. The devoted minister, however, did not give up, pressing on with his mission tirelessly. To ensure that he did not quit, the king regularly sent him sufficient funds to support him. Years passed and the minister turned gray and old, and he finally had to admit that he had failed. With tearful eyes, he began his journey back home. After years of absence and hardship, on his way back, he decided to pay a visit to a learned sheikh whom he had heard about, hoping to receive a blessing from him. However, the minute his eyes met the sheikh's, he burst into tears, sobbing uncontrollably for quite some time. Once he managed to take control of his senses, he confessed to the holy man, Great Sheikh, I've lost my way. I haven't achieved what I set out to achieve all those years ago. And now I'm returning to my master, shamefaced and empty-handed. I beg of you, take pity on me and show me the right path. What are you searching for, my good man? Asked the Sheikh with compassion. Years ago, my king sent me in search of a tree that produces fruit that gives eternal life. I've wasted my youth searching for it, but 
I've never found it. All I found was sarcasm and pity, whimpered the minister. My wise man, the tree you speak of is the tree of knowledge, which grows within the human heart, imparted the sheik benignly. You've been searching for what is readily apparent, and in the process, you've given up the real meaning of life. This phenomenon is called by different names. One calls it the sea, another calls it a cloud, while another calls it a tree, or even the sun, and many more names besides. Knowledge has thousands of uses, one of which is eternal life. God is one and without a rival, but he gives forth infinite signs. Think about it. A man may be your father, but he is also someone's son. What may seem like anger in the eyes of an enemy is kindness to a friend. You've been saddened with only one of his great signs, namely that tree you've been seeking. If you don't want to remain defeated, it's time for you to ignore what you see on the surface and begin to concentrate on the essence. What creates differences between men is precisely the superficiality. But once they understand what lies beneath the surface, duality vanishes. The minister felt an immense burden lifted from his shoulders. He no longer felt dejected or defeated. His heart had opened, and he knew that his passage back home would be one of joy rather than one of grief. The Sufi Who Lost His Donkey A merchant dervish would travel for several days in a row, trading his goods in towns and villages that he passed through. One night, after a long journey, he arrived at a remote town on the edge of the desert, as was customary for dervishes. He sought the nearest Sufi house to spend the night. When he located the establishment, he went directly to the stables to tend to his exhausted donkey, who had patiently carried the merchandise all day. He brought him plenty of water and hay, making sure that the animal lacked nothing for want. Just to be sure of his donkey's well-being, he tipped the young stable boy to take extra care of him. The other dervishes who were staying in the Sufi house were mostly poor and hungry laborers their hearts habitually on the verge of sin. When they realized that the newcomer had a donkey in the stables, they decided to take advantage of their sudden fortune. Unbeknown to the owner, they quickly sold the donkey to another guest who was leaving that very same night and spent the money buying food and candles for the evening. As they began to prepare their meal, the men became progressively more agitated excited that tonight everything was perfectly set for a grand feast. They extended much courtesy to the donkey's owner, bowing to him repeatedly and making him feel welcome. Meanwhile, among themselves, they silently celebrated the fact that they no longer needed to beg for a morsel of food, nor would they have to fast for lack of resources in the coming days. The owner, for his part, considered himself lucky to be at the Sufi house that evening, 
and able to enjoy a tasty meal in the company of great generous Sufis. Little did he know. Eventually, the food was served and all enjoyed themselves, eating to their heart's delight. Soon after they finished their meal, the men began the Sama ritual. The dust rose under their feet, mingling with the smoke from the cooking, enveloping the whirlers in a mystic cloud. The Sufis sang and danced, raised their arms toward the sky, whirling around and around, stomping their feet, then prostrating on the floor, sweeping it clean with their robes. As the Sama gathered pace, the musicians picked up the beat and began to sing enthusiastically. The ass is gone. The ass is gone. Arms in the air. The Samazans repeated madly after the musicians. The ass is gone. The ass is gone. The owner of the donkey, unaware that it was his donkey they were singing about, joined in passionately and sang along with them. The ass is gone. The ass is gone. The Sama continued long into the night, lasting until dawn. At sunrise, the men left one by one on their separate ways, bidding each other warm farewells. The owner of the donkey wiped the dust off his clothes and gathered his belongings, getting ready for another working day. Hurrying to catch up with his newfound dervish friends, he rushed to the stables but did not see his four-legged companion. He thought that the stable boy must have taken the animal to the stream to let him drink. Perhaps he hadn't had enough water the night before. When the young boy finally appeared, the owner asked him about his donkey's whereabouts. The boy was confounded and told him that he had no idea what he was talking about. The owner became furious and grabbed him by the throat, threatening him with his life. I left my donkey in your care last night, he screamed. You were meant to look after him. Don't you dare give me excuses. Quickly, go and bring him to me. Otherwise, I shall take you directly to the authorities, he threatened. I was overpowered by the dervishes, confessed the boy. I feared for my life. They sold your donkey and used the money to purchase the feast last night. To leave a loaf of bread with a group of hungry men is like throwing a scrawny cat to a pack of wild dogs, he exclaimed, trying to view the situation philosophically. Supposing they took him from you by force, shouldn't you have informed me that they were stealing my donkey? If you had, I could have at least bought him back from the buyer or got the money out of this unruly lot. Now that they've each gone their separate ways, how am I ever going to find them? What an irreparable injustice you've brought upon me, he whimpered. I tried to warn you several times, I swear to God, but your enthusiasm was greater than all theirs put together, reported the stable boy. You sang even louder than the rest. The ass is gone, the ass is gone. I thought for sure you must have given them your consent. Being a mystic and privy to so many secrets, I was excited, aroused by their enthusiasm, agreed the dervish. But I was foolish to imitate them. Imitation has destroyed me. I cursed it a thousand times, 
for it has damaged me beyond repair. A thief in hand. In the middle of the night, a man heard footsteps in his home and quickly got out of bed to investigate. Sure enough, in his sitting room, there stood a thief, his hands filled with valuable objects. Taking fright, the burglar dropped everything he had gathered and jumped out the window into the street, while the owner of the house gave chase. The owner, who was young and a fast runner, scurried after the thief for a few blocks in the darkness until the thief could run no more. The owner grabbed him by the scuff of his neck and was about to drag him to the police station, where he heard someone calling out to him. Come quickly, come and see the signs left by the thief who's ravaged your home, screamed the unknown voice. What a kind and concerned citizen, thought the owner. What if there's a second thief in my home who might hurt my wife and children? That damage can never be undone. What good would it be to me to tie up this man, but lose the true culprit? If I don't listen to this stranger, I might regret it for a long time to come. The owner quickly let go of the thief he thought he had caught and rushed back home. Outside the house walls in the dark, there stood the thief's partner, waiting for the owner to come back. Thank you, gasped the owner when he saw the second thief. You've done me a great service. Tell me, why were you calling me? Let me show you the footprints of the thief. The bastard has run away in that direction, he said, pointing to his right. If you chase him right away, you might still be able to catch him. You idiot! What on earth are you talking about? I already caught him. You tricked me into letting him go. I have the truth in my grip. And you are now suggesting that I look for signs? I'm well aware of the truth, said the second thief, feigning innocence. I'm only trying to show you the signs of the truth. You are certainly either a burglar yourself or a total ignoramus. No, I'm certain that in fact you are a thief and know exactly what the other chap was up to. My enemy was in my hands and you made me set him free. And now you're blabbering about the truth? Sometimes the truth is much too obvious. People erroneously search for it in signs while the real thing is staring them right in the face. The Wise Madman A young man had determined that it was time to get married, but he was not entirely sure about his decision, because he did not wish to make a grave mistake, knowing that the choice of a bride was probably the most important decision of one's life, he decided to consult with someone wiser than himself. He searched the entire town and asked everyone he knew until finally someone told him. In our town, there is only one wise person, and he's the old man who plays with children. It didn't take long to find the wise man. In fact, it would be hard to miss him. There, in the middle of the town's main square, he spent his days chasing a group of young children while riding a long bamboo stick pretending that it was his wild and unruly horse. When the young man spotted him from a distance, he took note that he'd better approach the man carefully, 
Uh, hello, great horseman. Uh, would you please veer your horse toward me for a minute? He implored desperately. Be swift and state your business, the man replied in a formal tone. As you can see, my horse is wild and fierce and will kick you if you make a silly move, he warned. I wish to get married, but am inexperienced and need advice. What can you tell me about women? Which woman would be the best choice for me? He asked humbly, not sure if he was actually going to get a decent answer. Uh, there are three kinds of women in the world, replied the horseman, knowledgeably. Two are great treasures indeed, but the third kind is the greatest of treasures, both in this world and the next. The young man was grateful but confused. Would you mind expounding on your theories? He asked politely. I will start with the first type, who will be entirely yours all your life, while the second type of woman will be yours only partially, and the third type will not belong to you at all. Now move away before my horse kicks your shin and lames you, declared the old man as he turned his bamboo horse towards the children and began to gallop away. Please wait, implored the young man, still confounded. Now that you've shared your invaluable wisdom, please tell me, what do you mean exactly? The horseman pulled his bridle and turned to face the inquirer. All right, let me tell you clearly once and for all. The woman whose heart will be yours, but only halfway, is the widow. Although childless, she'll always hold on to the fond memories of her late husband. There's another type of woman who will never share her heart with you. And she's the widow with children. Every time she looks at them, she'll be reminded of the love she shared with their father. Undoubtedly, the best woman of all, whose heart will be yours forever, is the woman who has never shared it with anyone before you. Now get out of my way before my horse knocks you out. Dear old man, I have one last question to ask, may I? Go on then, he replied, a little annoyed. Your wisdom is unrivaled. Why do you pretend to madness? The townsmen wish to select me as their supreme judge, but I refuse time and time again, he confessed. Nevertheless, they insisted that there was no other wise man in town whom they could trust. They wouldn't leave me alone. Therefore, I had no choice but to pretend that I'd lost my mind. Inside, though, I'm still the same. My mind is my spiritual treasure, and I'll never share it with common folk. Having imparted his precious secret, the wise madman rode towards the gang of boys who were impatient to continue their unfinished battle.